All right, everybody, we have another NLX2 podcast coming at you guys. I've uh, been very excited about this one, been getting this one set up, and I'm glad it finally it finally came through. And um, today we have we have Mark Littell, somebody who who wears many hats. Today he's wearing a St. Louis hat, but he wears many, many hats. So entrepreneur, um, former professional baseball player for both Kansas City and St. Louis, and then also an author, uh, entrepreneur, everything. He's done it all, and he's had success in what you've done. And selfishly, maybe that's uh, why I gravitated towards you a lot. You, you've done very well in different sectors, and so um, played played a stint with both uh, KC and St. Louis. Like I said, is the is the inventor of a very great product that is um, simple in means, but Hmm. I was thinking about it. You, you've allowed many children to actually be born. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a cool thing roundabout. So, um, if you just want to introduce yourself real quick, man, we can take it away. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I be Mark Patel, and I, Nutty Buddy is one, and this, this was my, this is my first book, and it's on. It was on the eighth day. God made baseball. I have a second one called Country Boy Conveniently Wild. And the third one is getting ready to come out called What's Up Ramrod with a question mark. Oh. And that's a little bit on coaching. And uh, it, it's not a how-to book. None of my books are how-to. They're, they're a lot of fun to read. And uh, I like to have fun. So, oh, yeah. Well, just, j- just doing research on you and seeing different podcasts and all that, you, you're, you're a witty person. <laughs> so, Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just for people that uh, don't know you, I don't, I, I have a, a baseball background. A lot of people that are on this podcast are entrepreneurs and they are um, strength and conditioning coaches all around the world. So a big thing, um, how, how was the childhood? Where, where did you grow up? What brought you all the way into professional baseball? I, uh, I grew up in a small town in Missouri in the boot hill that uh, hangs down in Arkansas and uh, it's right on the Mississippi River. It's Gideon, Missouri, and it's a thousand people, roughly. Uh, it's uh, south of Cape Girardeau, Lush, Rim, uh, Brush Limbaugh territory, okay. you might say, of Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And uh, <clears throat> soybean, cotton farm, and my dad was shot all the hell in the Korean War, and he kept my brother and I in line. And uh, my brother caught me. He's a year behind me. He played at Mississippi State. He got drafted twice as a catcher, and Anytime an umpire uh, got out of line, we kept them straight. There you go. That's what you got to do. Um, so during that time, um, I grew up in a, in a town in Wyoming of right around 4,000, but where we actually lived is a much smaller town. We have towns with a hundred people right around us. And I, I always talk about this to my athletes and I talk to many people and we'll get into your nickname and all this stuff. And it's all carried with you throughout everything that you've done. Um, did you, did you feel like coming from a small town, did you have to have a, like a chip on your shoulder or did you, did that perspective kind of help you throughout your career? Well, I think in a sense that I, there was a chip built on my shoulder because I was, uh, when I signed in 71, George Brett, another ball player, Hall of Famer, he and I signed the same year. We were both 18 years old. He was a beach boy. I was a farm boy. So I pretty much parked my plow points at the door in Billings, Montana, and he parked his surfboard on the other side, and we <laughs> both went through the door. And we wondered about each other. He looked, he's kind of strange. 
And so we got to be pretty good friends and ended up playing a lot of baseball together when I was with Kansas City. And, and then I was uh, uh, also with, obviously, St. Louis. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of, lot of fun uh, things out there to do. And the California guys, uh, I was the only guy from the Midwest right there. So I had the uh, down-home country boy accent. And, you know, we're, we're actually in the south. We're right north of Memphis, Tennessee, not very far. So uh, they always had, you know, fun times with me. I ended up being the winningest pitcher on that team. And we only had three high school players on the whole team. And the rest were off to college boys out of USC, UCLA, and wow. well, University School for Children, I told them. Wow. And that and that kind of brings us to your time in Billings. Um, I grew up that Billings is where we went school shopping. Billings is where we had everything, and so I'm very, I'm very familiar with Billings. Um, and they've, I mean, just a few years ago, their little league World Series team was in the in the championship, and it was really cool to see. And so, how was your time in Billings? How was that? And the opportunity, obviously, it catapulted you very well. Um, so, how'd that go? I had a blast. I had a blast in Billings, and you know. In rookie ball, you have a 72-game schedule, well, at least back then you did. And, uh, you know, we, we played uh, Montana. Uh, we played uh, in uh, Utah uh, a little bit. And then uh, Idaho Falls in, in that area as oh, well. Okay. That was part of it. It was an A-team league at the time. And, you know, you got to see a, a part of the country that was uh, actually beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, and the fans were great. They pulled in quite well with the fans. Yeah, I bet. The fans were very good there. So during the entire time, so we're growing up all the way through, obviously when you're in minor league ball, minor league ball is your one You're You have a very tunnel vision on that. There's one end goal. Were you a multiple sport athlete growing up? Yes. Okay. What else uh, did you play? Basketball and, uh, and baseball and then, uh, football and the cotton trailers and things of that nature. <laughs> you know, we're, but, uh, what, was it always baseball? Were you always superior at baseball? Basketball a little bit too, you know, but uh, baseball, yes, for sure, because my arms stood out and I, I played Legion baseball. And uh, Legion was a big deal because we had 60-game schedule. Oh, and really? uh, Legion's a very big uh, part up in the, the uh, Northwest as well. You know, going to – they have big Legion teams, Helena, Montana. I ended up coaching – 18 years professionally. Okay. So I, I coached uh, Milwaukee, San Diego, Dodgers, Kansas City. You know, they're all the same. There's just different twists. It's like, you know, playing for a different team. You know, you're just, it was just a little bit different twist. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the fact that I was born in the state and played for both Kansas City and St. Louis, I'm the only player that's ever played in the state and born in the state that's never played for another team. Oh, really? That is very interesting. It's pretty cool. Um, I'm a I'm a big football fan too, and you look at a lot of the people that have come home and got to play professional ball in their home state, and it's awesome. It's really cool to see. Yeah. Um. So when I was when I played baseball, baseball was actually my best sport. My dad had played, like we talked about earlier. My dad played professionally in Australia, and uh-huh. so having him as my coach, I was it, it was it was the end goal. That was that was what I wanted to do. Being from how small our town was, we actually didn't have the numbers, so they had to cut the Legion ball team. So that was, yeah, they they cut the ball team by the time. So I played one year of Legion, and it was cut. And so from that point, it was like we gotta we gotta figure out something else because I'm I, I baseball was that goal. 
Um, sure. So, yeah. So in Billings, you you had you had some success. Obviously, that's what helped get you to um, where you were. And then I like to see that contrast to tell people like, yeah, you played professionally for X amount of years, but you coached for much longer. You know, like so you, right. you've been around it a lot. Um, so in my realm, we have we football is like this big. Everybody wants to train and compete in football. So I like to bring this out to people because all these head honcho muscle bound football players think that just baseball, you can be a slob doing it or X, whatever it is. And I tell them, I said, there are plenty of baseball players that can make the transition to any other professional sport and be great. There are minimal amount of people that can transfer from another sport into baseball. Um, why do you think that is? It's what, what, what mm-hmm. does baseball um, require of somebody that another sport doesn't? You know, you have to have kinesthetic awareness, fine tuning, fine touch in baseball. In, and basketball is the same way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's all fine tuned, fine touch. In football, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's Thor versus whoever, you know, which of their gods on the other side and whoever is the strongest yeah. or, or run through. Your quarterback, your tight ends are relevant. They got brains. Everybody else, you know, whatever. So anyway, they, uh, you know, they, they lift a lot of iron. If we lift too much iron, you know, we, we lose all of this. Yep. So I, I do like yoga. I like stretching quite a bit. I didn't grow up on weights. I grew up on a farm. <clears throat> we didn't use the weights back then when I had it. They use a lot more weights now. There's a lot of people that misuse weights. They're uh, kind of like a gun. They're, they're, you know, they're, they can go off and they're loaded, you know, so they're dangerous. Yep. And uh, you got to know what you're doing with them. Uh, I do like lightweights quite a bit, uh, especially for the pitchers. I like stretching. Uh, if you see a, a pitcher get too too tight it, and they're not flexible, you know it, it, it's really hard to throw a baseball with uh, when, when you're tight and yeah. you're about wound up. Yeah. I mean, everybody says, uh, "Well, <clears throat> you know, you have to go out there and really and go get them now." You know, well, in baseball, you want the attitude of if I want to throw a really good fastball, I have to actually relax more. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have to like that because then everything tightens up. Whereas, you know, if I wanted to throw, you know, 95 here, easy, you know, it just comes out of your hand. But if you, if you want to try too much, uh, you're going to go backwards. And then the term we've heard less is more actually it does work. The other factor is it's better to be smarter than to come out here and think, well, I did all this, coach. Make it care less. Did you actually get the job done, though? Yeah, and that's you know, they, they care how. I don't care how hard you work. I don't care what you did. If you didn't get the job done, there's a reason. Yeah, you know, back that back it down sometimes. Exactly. That's what I run into in football. There's these weight room warriors that yeah. can't make a tackle, or whatever it is, and you run into that. And you made a good point you doing your best work has to be unconscious. You have to just be able to do it. And I made a list because I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a strength, a strength and conditioning coach buff. And I've been around some of the best strength and conditioning coaches in baseball. Um, I'm really good friends with the diamondback strength and conditioning staff. And a big thing they've turned to is arm care, really can really trying to be able to offset or prevent any type of arm care issues. And one of their biggest goals 
get limber, be able to one produce force. You need to be able to produce the force to get the job done, but you need to be able to decelerate. So that second step in that picture, they need to be able to decelerate. And then that gets us into a whole slew of things. You have to have this, um, this optimal limb ratio. You have to have very rigid, but very flexible torso. And you have to be able to have the healthy enough joints to get there. Um, and I, this is a great segue too. you ended up and we'll, we'll kind of jump around. We'll get back into billings and all that, but you ended up having to get surgery. Um, it took you out a season, correct? Twice. Oh, twice. <clears throat> Same surgery. I bounced back from both surgeries. I was a rehab coach for two years, but you know, I found out with a lot of things and, and I know you're probably aware of it. Just, but you know, I see guys doing these forward things with the bands quite a bit and, and all kinds of things. You know, you know, actually, when you work the decelerators, it, it, it's a lot better. If I were doing a lot of things over, I would work the decelerators way more than, than, the, than going the other 100%. You are, you're spot on. That's what almost all strength and conditioning in baseball is going to. How, yeah. how well can you decelerate your weight? Because everybody, I mean, if you're at that level, you should be able to throw night. You should be able to throw fast pitches. You should be able to get there, but can you decelerate it safely so you don't get hurt? Is the big right. thing. Because you know the other thing too is is if, if your front side accelerators are are overdeveloped, you know you're here. You need bigger backs, back muscles. You know if you look at the best pitchers that longevity wise, if you look at their back muscles, that's the guys that that really stay in the game a while. Yeah. You know that make it that holds their arm in place. Yeah. Really and you even look at different, different sports too. Um, I yeah. used to deal with, I had three shoulder surgeries and a knee surgery playing college football. And the people that can have the strong back to hold the shoulders in place with arm tackles, it's, it's the key. It really is. But in baseball, it's on a pedestal, especially when pitching that, I mean, that is your, that's your, that's your moneymaker as you know. And so, um, Throwing fastballs, I really like. I know that you probably always have to talk about certain stories on podcasts and all this, and so I tried to find one that you don't you don't have to talk about as much. Um, but I love the story about uh, about BP when you just couldn't take the sauce off the fastball. You were you, yeah. You, tell us about that story. You had never done BP before. <laughs> <clears throat> well, that that actually did happen in Billings and. Uh... I'd never thrown batting practice before because I came from a really small town. And I, we, I just threw on the side during the game. But my brother caught me. It, it was the same thing in Legion baseball. I never really threw batting practice whatsoever. So the very first time I threw, I was going to throw on the second day because we had a lot of we had, you know, a lot of pitchers out there. And we had, you know, uh, a lot of administrators that came in from Kansas City and, uh, and a lot of coaches as well. And the guy who signed me was Gary Blaylock, and he was there. He was actually the manager of the team. And uh, so when I got out there to throw, you know, I just said, you know, I'm balls out, screw you. You know, don't you pay? So I was, I was out there letting it go. And these college guys, and they're basically saying, who the hell is this guy? And, you know, I'm, you know, balls are flying all over the place. And, you know, Blaylock came out, and he said, damn it. He said, damn it, Mark. He said, he said, back this shit down. He said, back it down. And I said, I said, well, okay. You know, of course, I didn't know. I thought I was supposed to get him out. But, uh, and then later on, you know, my, the, the next day, my, my nickname country would come about by, by a Hall of Fame guy named Joe Flash Gordon after he saw this incident. Mm -hmm. It just happened. Well, anyway, 
<clears throat> this guy goes down to first base, and I noticed they were going to get leads. And I and he said, "Come to a set position, throw out of a set." I said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so <clears throat> I came to a set position. I said, "Well, this son of a bitch gets a pretty good lead. I'm going to pick his ass off." Yep. Well, there's a guy over at first base in UCLA, Dave Landers, and Spider Jorgensen, another Hall of Fame guy, was hitting to our shortstop, and he was taking throws. Well, I come to a set position, and I'm looking, and I look over over my shoulder, and I said, gee, he's not held late. Mm-hmm. So I just turn and just do my best move. So as Landers is getting a throw from the shortstop, one goes by his head. So everybody on the field just laughs. Which falls down and just laugh in their oh, ass. God. I mean, everybody, all the coaches except Blaylock, you know, yep. manager, he, he's shaking his head. He said, damn it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, Landers just walked over to the dugout because he probably shit his pants to get drink water. <laughs> you know, he, threw, he just threw his glove down. And uh, so that, that's what you were talking about. Yeah. But the next day, uh, Joe Gordon said, uh, I came out of the dugout, and there's probably eight or ten people on the field because I like to get out there a little bit early. And mm-hmm. he said, where is that country boy? I kind of like it. Where is <laughs> Oh, that's that, that's that chip that you got from that small town. I mean, honestly, I really – I would never take back growing up in that small of a town. Throwing bales, docking sheep, branding cattle. Right. Like, that's that's the good yeah. shit, man. That's what makes great people, I think. Um yeah, hundred percent. You hard work is just another day, I would say. You know, and so very. I don't. I didn't know if this was this was true, but um, once you 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 made yourself um, very well known and very successful as a closer, and um, you had uh, a song play every time. Correct. You had a song come out too. What was that? Was, uh, thank God I'm a country boy, John Denver. That's cool. That's all. Awesome. That's a classic, man. Yeah, when Kansas City was winning and I was coming to the mound, you know, and I was I was pretty young, you know, uh, after going through my first arm surgery, I was still young, and they were getting with it, and they would, when I was getting ready to throw, throw the first pitch, then they would sit down and the music would stop, and there you go. So cool, man. So at this time in, in Billings, at this time, uh, did you know, did you know at this time that you were, I mean, you were in the minor league system, you were, you were going to go professional, you were going to go to the majors? Uh, you know, I had always thought that, but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a 12th round pick. George Brett was a second round pick. He wasn't the first. George Brett's a Hall of Famer right now. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but, um, you know, I just never really gave up on myself. Uh, the thing that got me into the big leagues is a, Visualization really helped me with uh, Dr. Bill Harrison, and uh, that's why I went because I was nine and one in AAA, and I was not supposed to go to AAA. I, I didn't even go to big league camp, so I applied myself uh, when uh, Dr. Harrison came in, and he was probably one of the first, if not the very first, guy to coin the, the term visualization. And he, you know, he, he died about six months ago. And uh, he has a book out, several books called "Slow the Game Down." Okay. But uh, works with a lot of people. I and, was, uh, I was very interested in that actually. Um, I, I'm gonna, I'll buy that book. I'll be reading it. But what we're, right. because nowadays history always repeats itself, and we're always getting back to 
now training the decelerators, what we used to do, and now trying to slow the game down and trying to, instead of trying to speed it up. So what were some of the visualization stuff that you did with um, Dr. Harrison? Well, actually, the power of suggestion, which is actually self-hypnosis in a sense, mm-hmm. is, uh, is part of it. But the other factor is, is trying to calm your body. And once you're trying to do certain little bitty things between the line, you actually focus because you're actually working on things with internally. Yeah. So you're not working on, you know, looking at over here, over here, over here. You're actually focusing and you're very positive about, you know, my job was to get out, not to throw strikes. My job is to get out. Mm-hmm. You throw, I can throw a strike, but it can get hammered. Mm-hmm. So, but that's interesting. In that's I want to get it out. As a matter of fact, I would tell my pitchers sometimes, I'd say, hey, mix in a strike. And and I as I would turn, I would knowingly say, oh, well, it might be better to mix in and out. See you later. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I was very yeah. interested in that because in my field, when you're when you're cueing or giving coaching to an athlete, right. there's there's a lot of really good sound research to show that internal so internal cueing so they can be very cognizant of what's going on in their body and what to feel is actually much more effective than hey uh dig your big toe or pull your feet apart or whatever it is and so that's it's right. it's it's a sound research which obviously dr harrison had had got that early on which is awesome um it was a interesting thing because i was the very first person i mean i, I was the youngest guy in the big league at oh, really? and uh you know, I didn't go to big league camp and they, and I'm, all of a sudden I'm in triple eight, nine, one, and they're really kind of wanting me to fail. I mean, I mean, I hate to say that, but I was, started working out with double A for one day. And the only reason I got over there is because Lou Gorman and John Sherrill, who was the Atlanta's general manager, he's our assistant at the time. He's real so young. Mm-hmm. And he said, Hey, Mark, you're always in shape. And I said, yeah, yeah. He said, you think you could throw three innings tomorrow? Or, I mean, just like that, three innings in AAA in, in spring training and because they had not come down from the big leagues yet. And I said, you know, camp. And I said, sure. Well, I did fine. I ended up throwing 27 innings with zeros across the board, you know, which is 27 innings in the big leagues. is unbel- I mean, in uh, spring training is stupid. Yeah. You might get 15 to 16, but anyway, they were trying to see. So I opened up in Denver in AAA. And that, that's, a, that's a mile high stadium at the time, and it, it's a pure launch pad. I did allow a home run, but that was the only game, thing I gave up in seven innings. Wow. I mean, I got it in there, and you know, they're wanting you to, you know, it's high, high air. Yeah, 100%. You know, like high, 100%. Yeah, so. Um, so we're transitioning from minors to majors. I have one question for you. So I have a bunch of athletes that not per se in the baseball world because they're going to just go to college. They, they, I wouldn't say they're as talented as a pool that you were in, um, but they're going to college. But a lot of my football players and hockey players, um, one bit of advice. So I have a ton of them going division one, division two, mainly division one. What is, what is very generally, what is your advice for them? You, you'd said earlier, don't give up on yourself, but what is some advice for them that you're going to go from a very small pond to a very big pond with a lot bigger fish. What is, what is your advice for them going bigger? <clears throat> well, be prepared not to play your first year. Yeah. I mean, they might not know that, but uh, it's okay to go to a Juco college, by the way. Yes. Uh, there's some really good Juco colleges. It's a lot less expensive and, and then good. 
Division one schools like to take players out of junior colleges more so than high school. Yeah, they're more developed. They're way more developed. And, you know, you're, you're, be prepared to set. You think you're going to go in there or, better yet, well, the coach said he would promise me this. That's a bunch of BS. Yeah. There's no coach that's going to promise you that. He will promise you that, but it ain't going to happen. No. I mean, if it does happen, you're okay. You're, you're one of the very few. Mm-hmm. It's a numbers game, I mean, and you know that more than I. I played I played Division two football, and it was still a numbers game. If you weren't the good play, the best player on that day, kiss your ass onto the bench. That's exactly. That's just how it goes. It's a number so, game. You hate to tell the parents this, you know that, you know you just wasted eight grand, you know, you know sending your your little son all over to Division one school because he got you know thirty percent or whatever he got. You know the minimum is twenty five, I believe. And then all of a sudden, he doesn't make his grades, and so now he's got to go back to JUCO. Oh, a waste of time and so money. The grades, are, the grades are the biggest thing, too. Because if you're sitting there thinking about going there because I'm a, I'm a football or a baseball player or whatever the hell you are, you're in the wrong business. Yeah, You better be going there for your education first because being a pro football player, being a pro baseball player is so far remote. Yep. You know, it really is. It's, it's a, a number. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but it's like a 0.01% of people that actually are going to make a living off of doing professional sports. It's Not very many. It's astronomical. Um, so we're now we have now got from billing you're you're going into the majors. Um, what was the biggest absolute biggest and I have an idea, but what was the biggest transition from minor league to major league after you were drafted? Uh <clears throat> It, it's the mental, it's the whole mental approach. Yeah. You know, and, and mature, the, the word you're looking for probably is maturity. Yeah. Is because you can sit there and you can be the physical guy. Well, I've got as good a fastball as him. I've got as good a breaking ball as him. My changeup might not be as good, but you know, well, you know what? You're not as calm as him. It doesn't, it doesn't project. You know, you can throw all that body language you want out there, but it's just not projecting the way it should be. Yeah. You know, at, at that time when you walk onto a major league baseball field, you know it when you're ready. Mm-hmm. Because I went down and I found out that I was a four A player. I was not a triple A player. I was not a big league player. I was in between. Mm-hmm. You know, so what's going to get me over the hump? And <clears throat> you know, you don't have to throw as hard. You don't have to have the greatest breaking ball. You don't have to have this or that. You have to be mature about what you're doing and have, and then you can actually enjoy the game. Yeah. Because there's a lot of, I didn't, you know, you work too hard at the game. Sometimes you can work way too hard at the game of baseball. You know, and there's a lot of times you're not ready to win. That's a big term. Really? Is this person actually ready to win? Can he step into that arena calmly coolly and collected and go about his business you know and he's maybe in a lot of pain or he may be injured but he's still going to beat you because he knows a better way to do it Mm -hmm. i i grew up i was actually probably a better wrestler than i was a football player but i ended up playing uh college football wrestling and baseball have a lot of parallels um you're you're on the mound you do have a team behind you but it's very mental within your head being able to get the task done, known or novel. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so that's that's interesting because I, I like drawing parallels from wrestling because they're both very, very difficult mental sports. Yeah. Um, so 
we got drafted in 71 and walk us through a little bit of, of your professional career. What were some great memories there in uh, progressing from KC to St. Louis? Well, <clears throat> the progression is, you know, you're getting traded and somebody still likes you. Yeah, there you go. So, Building those relationships. Somebody wants you. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I had I, I was in a couple playoffs, you know, in Kansas, Kansas City. And uh, I was young at the time, 23, and I gave up a, a big home run to Shamblitz, as a lot of people know. But uh, they still play that after 47, 44 years. They still play that on uh, the Yes Channel in New York yeah. every day. So, but, uh, you know, the Cardinal thing, that was, it was great. I hold a Cardinal record for relievers for strikeouts. So that's, I just laugh at that. Let's go. Because I didn't know. Uh, it's a single season record. And the way pitchers are being pitched right now, I guess it will never be broken, I'm sure. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, it's, uh, it was funny because ESPN called me up about six years ago and said, uh, Mr. Lapel, that's when you know you get an intern, uh, <laughs> Mr. Lapel. And I said, what do you want? And so he said, uh, well, your your record might fall. I said, what record? He said, well, you you hold the single season record for most strikeouts by a reliever. I said, no shit. <laughs> and, so, and so he said, well, who's set to break it? And he said, Rosenthal. I said, well, good luck to him. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mr. By three. Tough stuff. There you go. So, still still holds strong. Yeah. What was, uh, I'm very interested. What was the best team you think uh, that you played on? I tell you what, both of both those teams. I was very fortunate at the time because the Royals. Uh, we were so close to going to the World Series, and they will tell you they still bring that '76 team up that uh, a lot. And then, of course, the '82 World Series team that I was with. I didn't play in that series because I was hurt, but uh, uh, that was another good team. Both, both they were all they were both good, and they were they both treated me very well. Yeah. So I was very fortunate at the time. Great. Very fortunate to have been there, to have played for both those teams. Seriously. And have the, have the talent you had behind you too. Very great. Um, Getting into a little bit of strength and conditioning. And I'm very interested. I'm I'm really interested. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but what did strength and conditioning look like when you were playing professional ball? What did, how has it changed or does it look the same or how did that look? No, it's changed quite a bit, actually. I think they tried to get into the weight program a few years ago, and they started making everybody look like Popeye, mm-hmm. including pitchers. <clears throat> and uh, you know, you don't want pitchers to look like Popeye. Yeah. And uh, but you know, if if you look at it, you know, you talk about a small town environment. I use the word tensile strength, and tensile strength to me fills in the gaps. And when your dad says to go put plow points on or do this or this with your your fingers and your hands, that's fine. But if you go out and you work with, say, somebody and they say, oh, I went to the gym for an hour and a half. Oh, I'm so tired. Let's go have a latte right now. Mm-hmm. So, and they, oh, my, I, got, I got my hand strength down. But you see, we were doing this the whole time and we had to do it because that's the way it was, yeah. you know, for six or seven hours. So now... You know, you've got the Xbox that came into it. You know, you look at uh, Price that came from Boston. He's sitting over there. He he had to have a uh, purple tunnel because he was playing too much Xbox. So so go tell me. Don't don't tell me. You know that people are onto this. So mm-hmm. you know, 
strength and conditioning guys got to remind them, you know, if you do this too much, this is going to take a hit maybe. Well, it did. And it took a hit on one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah. You know, and that, that was not by a weight either. And I can't tell you how many times in spring training as a coach that once they started the weight programs, that the guys would always want to do more. And somebody of those 75 pitchers would come in and because of a dropped weight, and now you've got a labrum tear or whatever, you know, a slight tear. And the guy says, well, my arm's sore. Why is your arm sore? Because they've been checking on them all over the world where they're at. Yeah. Well, have you been doing this and this? And this? Yeah, well, but I didn't tell you. I, I, I let a weight slip. You know? Yeah. Things of that nature. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I really like the term that you brought up tensile strength. So I'm a, I'm a part of a very exclusive group. There's only 130 of us coaches in the entire world. Um, it's called the, they actually just ran an article in the Dickinson press a few weeks ago. And so long, long story short, John Wellborn, he played 10 years in the NFL, um, offensive lineman. And he said, what was the difference between some successful guys and some older guys that weren't as successful? And he said, tensile strength. And he said, because it's like a samurai sword. The more folded, the more folds we can get on this sword, the better it's going to make it as a weapon. And so sure. he, he talked about that as like, uh, it's a it's a multifaceted thing, but this tensile strength is something that we may not be able to put a qualitative mark on, but you know when right. people have it and you know yeah. the people that don't. And so that's, that's I, I really like that you brought that up. It's a layer, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I brought that up on my own at times years ago about tensile strength. Yeah, I, I, I relate to it as a filler in between the joints. Mm. You know, rather than looseness, it's kind of it's kind of welded together. Yeah, you know, like it should be. Exactly, you know, smooth. It's welded. Yeah, it's very it, smooth. Do you do you think you, you had had two surgeries? Um, do do you think that those were inevitable? that you had that, I mean, any work you could have done would have stopped that? Well, I probably was overpitched, I'm sure, because I got in 60 plus games at over a hundred innings three times. That's only happened with 40 of us in the business. That's a lot of innings for a reliever uh, with as many times up. Yeah. That doesn't count the dry humps. That means the times you get up and don't get into the game. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think I would have had, I think every pitcher do, goes through a clean out, you know, Ryan did, Maddox did, they all had clean outs, uh, major surgery. Eh, I had a major surgery in my last one, uh, because it was a total rehab of the elbow. It wasn't Tommy John. I know Tommy John, you know, yeah. we played against him. but, uh, I just, uh, yeah, it was going to happen regardless. The other factor is though, is I probably did some of the wrong things with my body as far as my arm. Mm -hmm. And I, people ask me, they say, well, hey, you were a really good pitcher. And, and you know what? Well, here's the deal. I have <clears throat> short legs. I have a long torso. I have short arms. I have a fat head. I have five wisdom teeth. And I have a fifth lumbar vertebra in my body. So I have an extra lumbar vertebra. And I'm really smart because I have a fifth wisdom tooth. <laughs> anyway you know this this part's long this part's short and you know so a lot of people don't weigh that in that scale definitely and you know i think if you measure that you know 
if you look at a guy's torso or some, most people have those nice long legs, you know, that you want in the athlete. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that, that hinders you when you have a short torso and longer legs. And it, and, it, uh, it there's a lot of things to think about. Yeah. And I think in pitching, it's again, it's put on a pedestal. It's, it's more important in that than it is in most things. Yes, it is. And right. back, then back then you made a good point. There wasn't no um, control of um, pitches thrown or your pitch count or inning count. It was just get the job done more than likely, correct? Right. Yeah. So well, I mean, the pitchers don't throw very any much today. I mean, period. I mean, the one thing I learned from Jim Codd, who played 26 years in the big league, <clears throat> left-handed pitcher. He was Minnesota for a lot of his time. But I said, what's the secret to your longevity? And he said, well, <clears throat> In a nutshell, he wore a long sleeve shirt, he shut the air conditioning down, and he threw a little bit every day. Even if he threw nine innings, he might throw eight or nine throws just to see if the arm worked. Mm-hmm. And the other factor was it's your intensity level doesn't have to be balls out all the time. Yeah. You know, and if you're going to throw it, where everybody might throw 25 to 30 pitches just to, you know, get her cranking right, you know. The guy that threw the big innings, you know, he might throw eight and he quit. You don't have to make him throw like the rest. So recognize who those are. The other factor, and I almost forgot this, was is people will, you know, work their <clears throat> their dominant arm. Work your opposite side more because you want to walk in there level. You don't want to walk in there short and big on one side. You want to be balanced. Yeah. You want everything to balance out, and that that plays a bigger role in the shoulder than most people think. I'm, a, I'm a, I, oh, yeah. since I had a lot of shoulder injuries, I'm a shoulder specialist. Um, looking at a, a, a ton of stuff that could be a whole separate podcast. But there's a mm-hmm. there's published research on, and you brought up a great point that so say you had a knee surgery on your left. Well, what the research shows there's something called total testosterone or serum testosterone levels. If you just work the, if you didn't stop, if you stopped working your injured leg and didn't work the other one, your testosterone levels actually drop as a full cycle flow. So being able to work the opposite side, even when you're not injured, can play a huge role, a massive role. And that's something that people are just finding out. But people always knew that along. I mean, we always knew that it's something that's going to help us in the future and help us with longevity. So I think people have to understand <clears throat> You know, it, it's so important to try to work the opposite side of the brain. It helps it, it helps you, you know, and it helps you as an athlete to perform because you're doing something that you don't like. And, and that's adversity, something you don't like to do. Yeah. We all get in ruts. We're humans. We want to do what we're good at. Right. So transitioning a little bit, my friend, um, into your into your invention, into your, your business. Um, and I'm very... I'm very interested in it. I was talking to my cousin about this the other day, just anticipating the podcast. <laughs> and uh, you have absolutely saved children and allowed children to be born. And that's, I mean, that's a need. That's that's something where this came out of. So I'm very interested of where, where this came out of. You had a real shitty cup that got broke or where did this come from? Yeah, you know, I'm into procreation, you might say. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, BYU was one of the first big buyers of us. You know, they're in a really big procreation, you know. Yeah, I'm a Utah so, fan, so. There you go. So, but anyway, uh, I was coaching with uh, Kansas City at the time, and I was uh, 
I was a coordinator, pitching coordinator. And I was talking to the pitchers one day and I was getting ready to run. And we had some downtime for three or four minutes. And so I said, how many, how many of you guys wear cups? And about half of them raised their hands. And I, I, well, that figures, you know, you know, you guys are probably going to be nutless or something. So I'm talking and, and one of the guys in the back says, hey, Lit, what hell? Hey, he said, hey, Lit, why don't you just invent one? I said, well, screw you. I think I will. Let's, let's go run. So I ran on my, and then I went to the training room and uh, I was looking for two golf balls. I asked the trainer, has anybody got any golf balls? No, no. Well, I got some out over here. So they, I found some golf balls. I found the plastic, what do you call it? The, the equipment hydroculator. Oh, Speaker, uh-huh. they call it. I don't. Know. Yeah. But anyway, stuff that waves after about four minutes, and so I got the big scissors to cut it with, and I welded it around there, and then I came up with this. And so I basically took that out there the next day, and I said, "Oh, here's your cup." By the way, <laughs> the guy said, "Well, that's pretty nice design right there." He said, "You might want to get that patented." I said, "Ah, screw you. I don't think so." So. After I left instruction, I was like, well, maybe I might want to think about that. So I talked to a lawyer and patent lawyer, and he said they sent it off in Washington, D.C. And he called me and he said, six weeks later, he said, you know, it came back free and clear. And I said, what's that mean? It says, that means you spend more money. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's what I came up with. It's anatomically correct for the most part here. It is anatomically correct. Uh, You know, People fall, kids fall asleep with this on. It doesn't matter what sport. Anybody that's got a pair can use this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, but the, uh, I got five sizes. I got hammer, boss, hog, trophy, and of course, mongo. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's how they sell. Yeah. And then there's a, there's a chart that, you know, kind of fills you in right there on what you need. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, every, Every guy that's a little guy, you know, he comes up to the counter. And he says, "Hey, baby, I got the hog." <laughs> and then, and then, of course, every eighth grader has got mongo. Yep. And then Dallas says, "Go back and get the hog." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Whatever. I I really like that the simplicity of it, but the the pull to fix a problem. I so we had a football kid just last week from Trinity. Um, one of their best, Logan Bentz, um, one of their best players. And he was going to make a tackle. He caught a heel of a cleat. And um, it was, nobody knew what happened. And then he actually missed two weeks, black and blue. Let's just say that. Everything was completely, it was bad, man. So any sport can use it. Just like you said, anybody with a pair can do it. And uh, everybody gets a kick out of just you completely disregarding own health because you believed in your product and taking 90 miles an hour fastballs to the nuts. I was going to let you say that because I've been on a lot of shows. Oh yeah. Uh, I've been Times Square. Uh, uh, I've been on a lot of shows uh, mm-hmm. taking 90 mile an hour shots and it's actually easy. Uh, I actually rode a bull six years ago and it, it broke my cubic bone, but my nuts were in all in Oh yeah. Bull ride, I found out bull riders wear my cup, and and they and I said, yeah, man, we like your cup. You know, it's real comfortable. And I said, well, good. So I wanted to do a commercial, so I rode a big bull, oh, shit. and uh, he, he slammed me hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did go two point four seconds anyway. There you I go. Was, uh, one, I'm sixty seven right now. Hell yeah. You find and, me, uh, you find somebody in their sixties riding a damn bull for two point four. I'm going to call you a liar. There's only one of those. <laughs> It's on film. You can look it up, actually. Let's go. So, 
Yeah. So, but uh, so I, I cut the uh, infomercial and it uh, it turned out well. But you know, the guy said, "How you feel?" I feel like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yes, you can't walk the kind of shuffle over there. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's all fun. Uh, the cup is, is 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 fun to do. I've got patented shorts and a actually a jock. I like to wear it with a jock or the the correct way versus you put up. They have these things where you just slide them in. That's very unsafe mm-hmm. and uh you know professionally we wear two jocks so i have a jock that's made pretty nice actually it's very 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 well put together yeah and uh the shorts are patented and obviously this is very well patented awesome where can people uh, find that you know, the other thing is i've won five awards on this i'm an idiot there you go where can where can people find this and buy them you just go to nuttybuddy.com we were in the big stores and the big stores really don't do our product justice. And they even said that. And we've always had success, but we also had to try the big store route mm-hmm. as well. Uh, it's made in the United States uh, as well. It's made in Omaha. Awesome. So man. Right in the smack dab in the middle. I, I love that. It's made I, of, uh, 124R Lexan bullet resistant glass. Ooh. I said resistant. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> So I have, I usually wrap up podcasts with just two questions and I try to go only three to four weeks, um, with the same questions. And so you have the first week of new questions. It's not too bad, but it's also really nice to get what's on the top of Mark Littell's head right now. So if you, if Mark Littell was a damn, if you were a kitchen utensil, what kitchen utensil would Mark Littell be and why? Knife, because I'd want to be real sharp at things. Yes, sir. There you That's go. True. There you go. I, I, when I got asked that, I was a meat tenderizer because I'm usually all gas, no brakes. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and then lastly, man, again, I really do appreciate you jumping on. We finally made it able to able to work. And um, so, if you had, if if you were able to write your legacy, and what would Mark Lattell want to be remembered for? Uh, actually making sure everybody understood that there's probably a better path than what we, we sometimes travel mm-hmm. and need to actually evaluate ourselves a little bit better and tell ourselves the truth as an athlete, because it'll save us a lot more time to have that heart to heart talk with our own selves yeah. to say, what am I, what is my, my weakness and also what is my strength? Yeah. So there's more than one path and we're always not, the head doesn't always tell us the exact right path. Right. Yeah. I like that. That's, that's definitely new. Mm -hmm. What was that? Be honest with yourself. Yeah. Have that. A lot of people, it's very hard to be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. Tell yourself the truth. Because you can get by for so long lying until something big comes up. You know, I can get by and be a triple A ball player. If I want to tell myself the truth that I'm short on this, I might go to the big league. That's a great comparison, man. Great. Yeah. Mark, I really do appreciate you coming on. It's been a lot of fun. Um, just getting, anticipating, watching all the other podcasts and doing research on you. You're a really good dude. And even though you played professional baseball, you've done all this stuff. You've are an author. Um, you've made, you're an entrepreneur. You just seem like a genuine dude. And I, I like that about you. So I'm glad we'll have to meet up sometime after you're done with your, uh, your surgery here in Dickinson. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. And I had a great time today. I, Wonderful. 
I appreciate it, man. That will wrap up another NLX2 podcast with Mark Littell. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed. If you need yourself a Nutty Buddy, which you do, go to nuttybuddy.com, correct? Yep. Awesome. Nuttybuddy.com. Awesome. So um, I appreciate it. You have a good one, and we will talk to you all later. 